0: Welcome
1: to Did You
0: Eat Yet? I'm Jessie Chang.
1: And I'm Grace Long. We're your hosts for this podcast. We believe every single person is created for a purpose.
0: And the ethnicity, the characteristics, and the personality you have all work together for that purpose.
1: So join us as we have honest conversations about what it means to be Asian between cultures through the lens of Jesus
0: to the last topic for our second season of did you eat yet um what a journey it's been mm, that's right i have really enjoyed yeah i've really enjoyed all the different topics we've looked at and explored and today this topic is something that we touched on in our last season but we weren't really able to um, explore or talk about it as much as we wanted to so i'm really excited today that we will be talking about the church and the LGBTQIA community.
1: Yes, and uh, we're really happy to have a very special guest um, to help us unpack this topic, Dr. Christopher Yohan. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. We're so uh, incredibly happy to have you on.
2: (laughs) Oh, amen. It is great to join you guys. Hello. Up north.
1: For sure. And uh, whereabouts are you joining us from, actually?
2: Yeah, well, it is, it is summer here. and uh, so Very it's jealous. <laughs> 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 yeah, actually, we're, uh, my parents and I just moved cross-country from Chicago to San Diego. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where it's always 70 degrees here. Yeah, yeah. Which, I don't know how, what that translates into Celsius. Nice and warm. Yes, 28 maybe, I don't know. Oh,
0: that sounds so nice. Indeed.
2: And so um, we're aware
1: that um, a lot of the listeners here in the Southern Hemisphere may not know a lot about you. So would you be able to introduce yourself for us?
2: Yeah, I'd be honored to. So I was not raised in in a Christian home. My parents were born in China, raised in Taiwan, then came to the United States for graduate school. They, they knew each other from from college and they got married here in the United States I uh, I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age mm-hmm. unfortunately I was I, I came across pornography when I was about nine years old and I know that's shocking to many uh, I would say Chinese adults or maybe first-generation Chinese adults but probably for, for you and you know the listeners that have lived in more of a western context that's like oh that's that's doesn't that isn't shocking mm, for, that's for normal. us yeah but it's very shocking for yeah it's it's unfortunately normal yeah, even really though, sad. you know I, I, i'm i was born in 1970, so this is back in the 70s before internet so mm. maybe exposure to pornography was you know the old-fashioned way with the magazines and today with internet it's so much more accessible unfortunately and even accessible by accident
1: that's right
2: but anyway that was the first time i realized i had these attractions kept them hidden through high school college even the marine corps reserves in dental school and graduate school and i don't know what it is in in australia or in new zealand but in the united states uh, dental school is after college in in for graduate school so in graduate school i came out of the closet in my you know early 20s and i think for now, nowadays, that's that's late for people coming to grips mm-hmm. with their sexuality. But that was yeah. probably around the the average they age then, with all the stigma around it. Came out, told my parents, and my mom, being your typical tiger mom, mm. she gave me an ultimatum to choose the family or choose that. Well, as we know, as Asians, family is everything. That's right. And it was. For my mom, it was a no brainer. I mean, you're, you know, you're gonna choose the family because there's nothing else. Well, you know, for me, I didn't view myself so much as Asian. I viewed myself as American, and, and I, I don't wanna be different from anyone, everyone else. And I thought, this is who I am. And I told my mom, if you can't accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Left home, devastated my mom. Uh, the news would have was just. I mean, the timing of it was really bad. My parents' marriage was a disaster. Um, I mean, as we know, I, I think in our Asian context, uh, no one talks about how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good father, how to be a good mother. You just learn from sometimes bad examples mm-hmm. of uh, not talking, not and you know, and yet everything's brewing under the surface, or just you know. Uh, the wife not saying anything, children not saying anything, and husband oftentimes not saying anything either, but uh, I just grew up with, with my parents having multiple times during the day just big arguments, and, and so after when my, parent, my brother and I got older, we're like, just divorce. I mean, just go your own way. Just be happy, right? I mean, isn't that what all life is about? Just be happy. And, uh, so they were about to get a divorce and, you know, as an Asian mom with family being everything, she was a failure. And then I was kind of like her last ray of hope. My, my father was hopeless. My older brother was hopeless. He was doing his own thing. And and then, you know, here I am kind of her in, in her mind, her, her, her last hope. And then I rejected her. That's, that's of course how she felt. I felt I got rejected so she actually decided to end her life.
1: Mm.
2: Amazingly, uh, and and she tells her side of the story uh, in our in our first book that we wrote together. And um, God miraculously, in just just supernatural, just phenomenal ways, brought her to Himself. And uh, within a few months, my father did as well. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. I like I thought you guys lost your minds. I mean, good for you, right? Not for me. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs, went from relationship to relationship, seeking intimacy and happiness, which I found temporarily, but it still left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So I began experimenting with drugs and, um, and I always need to be really clear to tell people, I'm just telling my story. I'm not telling everyone's story. I'm not saying all gay men do drugs or promiscuous. Mm -hmm. That is part of my story, but that's not everyone's story. So I began experimenting with drugs. I actually began selling drugs. Um, Eventually, just a few months before receiving my doctorate, uh, or supposed to receive my doctorate, I was expelled from dental school. So my parents Mm. flew from Chicago to Louisville, and I thought, oh, that's awesome, great. They're going to fight to keep me in school. I mean, isn't that what any good Chinese parent should do anyway? (laughs) And to my surprise, (laughs) as we were in the dean's office, my mom looked at the dean and said, it is not important that christopher becomes a dentist what's more important is that christopher becomes a christ follower it was totally countercultural totally against her asian chinese mom nature to do that yeah. but she knew cool. as a totally new creature that that we cannot make education and career a god an idol And she knew that there was nothing more important than me following Jesus. So she wanted to get out of the way and God to do her work. Well, I was not happy (laughs) about about my my mom. I was furious. So I moved further away from uh, Chicago. I was in Louisville, so I moved further south to Atlanta, Georgia, where I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which was have fun, live it up. And I became not just a dealer, but a supplier, uh, my parents came to visit me one time in Atlanta. I told them to get out, and they, they, were, they weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me I was living in sin. I knew what they believed. But just the fact that God radically transformed their lives, that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. Totally believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear the narrative today, Christian parents, parents who believe the Bible, cannot love their gay children, right? I mean, we have movies, Boy Erased, all these uh hollywood uh, these stories on youtube people coming out and christian parents rejecting them we hear that Mm -hmm. narrative and you and christian parents need to actually shed that old ancient teaching to love their gay children i had the exact opposite experience my parents were not christian they rejected me my parents then became followers of christ and they knew that they could do nothing other than to love their gay son as god loved Mm -hmm. them while they were still sinners so I told him to leave my dad gave me his bible and i'm like i don't want your bible I left it on my kitchen counter walked out the door as soon as they left i took my dad's bible and threw it in the trash and it was so obvious i was just hopeless but my parents committed not to focus upon hopelessness but on the promises of god and along with over a hundred prayer warriors from their church from their bible study fellowship group they began to cry out to god for me my mom began to, to pray a bold prayer god do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasted 39 days on my behalf. Yeah, that's amazing. She spent hours, hours, every morning in her prayer closet, reading her Bible, crying out to God, interceding for me for many others, and she knew that it was gonna take nothing short of a miracle. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door, opened on my door, and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. They confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised Atlanta City mm-hmm. Detention Center. So I tried calling home, dreading making that phone call, but my mother's first words were, are you okay? No condemnation, mm-hmm. no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. A Few days after that, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I'm like, this is my life. <laughs> I've just destroyed my life. I was about to pass it by, but something on top of the trash caught my eye, bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> took it back to my cell, open up the good book. And I'm like, and and I wasn't thinking, oh, this is the answer. I just thought I've got tons of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But as you know, as as your listeners know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, but what we have is the very breath of God. It is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebelling. It wasn't a pretty sight, and I thought things were going to get worse. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office, and the nurse brought me in, and she gave me the news that I was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. A few days after that, I was laying in my bunk, and I noticed someone had scribbled something on the metal bunk above me, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And God, used, it could have been any verse, but God used those words to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel in rebellion, in exile, he could even have a plan for me. You know, honestly, Jesse Grace, I had no clue where that plan was contained, but he just gave me enough faith, and enough strength to get through that one day the next and the next. So like my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies, obviously drugs, but within a few months he delivered me from that addiction. God brought other idols to mind. And there was just this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of. And it was my sexuality went to a chaplain, asked his, his opinion on this. And to my surprise, he's, he told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality, gave me a book explaining that view. And I'm like, great. I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And from a human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't even finish that book. And I gave it back to the chaplain which meant mm-hmm. I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I want to find anything that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. But I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is important, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by freeing myself from my sexuality and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. As the days, months of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality should not be a core of who I am. I told myself before God loves me unconditionally, that's true, but I added God's truth and I said, he doesn't want me to change. But I realize that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not yeah. be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter. Mm-hmm. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. God says, be holy for I am holy. You know, I thought I, to become a Christian, I'd have to become a, a heterosexual. What, what does that mean? I need to be sexually attracted to women. And actually, I even thought the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex, attract, opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation and resist sin. So heterosexuality, it's the right direction, but it's not specific. It's too general and broad and includes sinful behavior. And if you think about it, God never commands us be heterosexual for for I am heterosexual, but (laughs) neither did God say be homosexual for I am homosexual. Instead, God says be holy for I am holy and I do so. Therefore the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, whether I'm tempted, but I need to just, just focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of temptations, but change is a spirit wrought ability to be holy, even in the midst of temptations. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God revealed his plan for my life, and he called me to full-time vocational ministry, in prison of all places, and I realized I needed to learn more about the Bible. So I called them, collected to my parents, and I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. But there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they, so
0: because at this point, they didn't know you'd become Christian? They
2: they knew a little bit, but you know, I mean, there's there's a tendency where you know, I mean, a lot of people say they're a Christian, but they're like, but, Mm. but where is he, you know, is he kind of believing the lie that this is who you are, that, that, you know, God's okay with just whatever, or is, you know, is, is it about a life uh, of a crucified life, you know? So Mm. they just weren't really sure that they were encouraged that I was opening up about the faith, but they just, they had no idea. Where I was, you know, when it comes to this. And, and they were even afraid to ask because uh, they, they, they wanted it to be in God's time. And I'm really glad that they didn't push it or press it. Um, they just mm-hmm. allowed God to work. So then I, 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 got, out of, um, I got out of prison. Uh, in July of 2001. And I started the very next month in August, 2001. <laughs> so I tell people, imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> <laughs> Graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's in exegesis in 2007, and then received my doctorate in ministry in 2014. And then in 2011, wrote my book, um, my, the memoir with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God. A broken mother's search for hope, and in that book, I introduced this concept called holy sexuality, and I always knew I needed to flesh that out. So, just back in 2019, right before COVID uh, happened, my book came out, and uh, actually, it was it was named 2020 Book of the Year uh, for social issues by Outreach Magazine, um, and um, yeah, it was Great. just uh, so just a blessing to be able to to be able to give that um, uh, th- that. That gift of uh, gift to the to the church to the body of Christ.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: and I um, will definitely like talk a bit more about yeah what is holy sexuality a bit later on in the episode. Um, but yeah, thank you so much just for sharing your testimony, Christopher. And what I love about it is just. You know, only God could do something like that for That's your right. family's story and to redeem and restore something that everyone would have said was a lost cause. So right. I just love how much your testimony and, and the testimony of your family reveals the kind of God that we serve Amen. and the kind of God that he is. Um. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that.
2: Praise the Lord.
1: Yeah, I'm particularly struck by... Um, yeah, um, I have two questions, but I guess the first one was like listening to your um your sharing and also um various clips I've seen of you. I'm really struck by how like, to your mother at least, you're quite like a normal, typical Asian kid. Like you know, like you you did the lessons. Can you um tell us a little bit bit about what kinds of things you did as a kid? And I suppose yeah, like show us like what that kind of child life was as a as a young
2: person as a youth. Yeah. I mean, it, and and it's definitely uh, many aspects of my my life are typical, but there's also some aspects of my upbringing and my parents that were a little bit atypical. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that the typical aspect was strong emphasis upon the family and m- my father being uh, a dentist. He became a dentist later in life. So he has two doctorates. He has a PhD in physical chemistry. That was his first PhD. He came to the United States and, and started a PhD program at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is kind of a sister school to MIT. Mm. And um, so he got his uh, PhD there and started uh, doing research and, and teaching and just found there's he he actually then moved to chicago to teach at he did some research at northwestern for a little while and then began teaching at loyola dental school but he was teaching biochemistry and there he, he looked at these dental students. He's like, Oh my goodness, dental school is so easy. Like he said <laughs> to my mom, he's like, you know, you don't have to do any dis- dissertation. You know, you don't have to do any research. You just have to fill a few cavities, you know, pull a few <laughs> teeth and, you know, make a few crowns and dentures and poof, you're a doctor. And, and, uh, and my mom was, you know, and he's like, oh, I, maybe I should do that. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, my, my, my father's the dreamer, my mom's the doer. And so she kind of helped make it happen, got herself a, a, a job, um, uh, just making minimum wage as a kidney dialysis tech because she had no training at all and ended up, she uh, ended up at this kidney dialysis tech uh, or the clinic uh, training the, the new nurses that would come in on, on what to do. So... <laughs> But, um, and, and she just always excel, in, excels in what she does. So when my father graduated, she then uh, stopped doing the kidney analysis and then started working with my dad and she became the office manager. My mom has mm-hmm. very much a people person, uh, has a lot of business sense. So fortunately my dad doesn't have many of those gifts. And so, you know, God and his sovereignty kind of brings people together like that. Uh, and so she just ran the office which also meant that my older brother and I, uh, you know, after school, we didn't go home. We would go to the dental office mm. and we worked in the back and we would do the lab work and we would do the cleaning and we would do, you know, I, I would balance the books and stuff like that. It, it was just, that was natural. That's typical Asian typical, family typical, operation. Very Asian, you know. <laughs> and we would go home around 9 or 10 or, you know. And it was just the whole day and we start over. That was, I didn't think it was anything abnormal about it. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because... Um, I learned so much, you know, hard work and and appreciation for what we have. You know, a lot of that is, is very typical, but it was also a little bit atypical in that my mom and dad didn't really put a lot of emphasis on getting straight A's. I mean, of course, do well in school, but, you know, I think... Uh, and even getting into the best schools, I'm kind of glad for that because I, I was not a straight A. My brother was straight A, and <laughs> he didn't have to try. That uh, That's the really annoying thing about it. He never uh, tried. One, he of would, oh, one of those people. one of those people. He would sleep through in class and get straight A's. And, um, you know, and, and with a I – I don't know if they have it down under, but, but we have – you can have, have honors classes, so, like, if you get an A, mm. it's – it's counted as 6 points as a, uh, as a, uh, on a 5 point scale so you can actually have higher than a 5.0 scale so he was always above that and um, doing well in school and also as great at sports he played all sports but he ended up landing on gymnastics and he won state gymnastics on a pommel horse which is i don't know if you're familiar with pommel yeah. horse is the, the hardest uh, event for uh, on, on men's gymnastics. Yeah,
1: didn't you do gymnastics as well, Christopher? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you,
2: yeah, I did. I did but my for homework. a short time. <laughs> you did do your homework. I was like, when did I mention that? Yeah, I did do my. Uh, I did do gymnastics, but for a short time. I was. I. I tried to do all around, which is six events, and that's t- that's it's really hard. And I just, you know, being your typical Asian boy at, uh, in high school, I, I didn't grow, I don't think until I graduated from high school. So I was okay. a little kid, <laughs> you know, maybe just five foot something and just small, you know, I weighed maybe, I don't know, like 120 pounds with soaking wet, something like that. And uh, I think, or even less than that. So... It was atypical in that, you know, so my parents allowed us to do sports too um, mm. and to continue on, you know, because a lot of times you do sports a little bit, but then you got to drop that to focus on school. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of atypicalness there. Um, it was atypical also that my parents would rarely boast about us. <laughs>
1: you, <know? laughs> you hear a lot of Asian parents, they're
2: like, oh, my kid does this. And my parents, they didn't like that. So they, they wouldn't do that. So there's a sense where um they would sometimes buck you know against this the the asian system and uh not not do that but i'm and also there's a typicalness in that growing up i did not want to be different Mm. and when i grew up uh in in the western suburbs of chicago there were no asians at Mm. all in our in our area in my grade school the only one was my older brother so it was tough, you know, being yeah. totally different and not having this huge identity crisis with compounded with the fact of wrestling with my sexuality. So, yeah, but um, yeah, you know, it's it's just interesting where as you get older, I, I so appreciate my culture uh, being Chinese and now I've picked up my Mandarin and I think I'm, you know, fairly good, fairly fluent. I, I, <laughs> I, I wish I could preach, but not yet. <laughs> But yeah, so there's a typical and atypicalness of, of, of my uh, upbringing here in the United States.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that it was interesting how you talked about like growing up, you were the only Asian um, in your area. So do you feel like when, in that period when you also came out, mm. that it was also a rejection of, yeah, I don't want to be Asian, and I, I want to be what everyone else is like.
2: Definitely. And, and there's, especially in the young secular culture in the West, um, beauty looks a certain way Mm, and certain, certain cultures can be considered not necessarily pretty, um, or maybe exotic, you know, Asian Mm -hmm. women are exotic, you know, and, um, but you know, like, and I'm totally blanking on his name. The N- NBA. Oh my goodness! I should show that. My dad is gonna uh, kill me for, for forgetting his name. Uh, the the, the uh, Jeremy Lin. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, you should take away my Asian card on that one. So Jeremy Lin, and he talks about it a lot of Asian women in the United States compared to Asian men. I mean, of course, there's stigma, but there's a sense of kind of exotic, you know, uh, with women, but you know, so there's a sense where maybe there can be that beauty for for Asian women, but for Asian men, it's there. There isn't that, and when you're in um, a young gay man, uh, early twenties, where a lot is emphasis upon youthfulness and and looks and beauty, yeah, there was a huge sense where I stood out and. People would see me as a fun guy, but, you know, not necessarily as, uh, you know, m- almost more kind of like as the uh, local clown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I fit yeah. into that really right. well. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, there is a sense where you, you do, stand, um, do stand out and, and dealing with that. People, you know, th- there's, there's a sense where people give you nicknames. My nickname was Connie. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Connie Chung, the, um, a very the news anchor. Yeah. Yes. Th- that news, in anchor, the 80s, yeah. she, news mm-hmm. anchor. She was uh, very, very famous. And so we, you know, you get those nicknames and it just stuck. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I there is a sense of just wanting just to be, to fit in with, with everyone else. Uh, you know, and that's, I think not just with, uh, you know, the gay community, but I would say with any you know in the secular community as well.
0: So do you feel like that changed after you became a Christian in terms of relearning your cultural heritage and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think some of that also comes with uh, maybe maturity um, and not only just being older but also maturing in Christ uh, but but seeing how, what diversity looks like uh, in the church, that um, it's not, it's really, it's unity. We're one in Christ. My parents came to faith through friends who were not Chinese, not Asian. So actually, they were discipled by English speakers. Their uh, mother tongue, Christian mother tongue, if you can put it that way, is actually English. So their prayer language is English. They don't mm. f- almost, uh, they feel a little little awkward. Of course, they can still pray in, in Chinese, but f- they feel a little awkward praying in Chinese and feel more comfortable praying in English, albeit being a little bit broken English. But that's just the way that that they, that's what they know. They, they read the Bible in English. Um, they don't really know the names of the books of the Bible in, in Chinese. So we attended, uh, an English speaking church and, um, or, or when I got out of prison, uh, I, I didn't want to go to my own church. They actually left it open. They're like, you know, you can go wherever you want. And I'm like, I, I, I'm going to go to your church. I mean, we're a family. And so, um, I, I went to church with them, which was wonderful because they actually had, uh, the church had been praying for me already, so they knew me by name. Many of you have been praying for me for years, so it was wonderful be, to be able to go into that context, um, and um, so, you know, it was, and a lot of the churches, though maybe a lot of them were much more homogeneous in a sense, and more Caucasian in a sense, but there was still diversity, and so I, we we really appreciated that, uh, and 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 yet appreciating also uh, the culture that I came. Yeah. So I think definitely when I got out of prison and what, as I grew in Christ, was able to really be able to kind of redeem that aspect of of my past. Mm-hmm.
1: Half-time, so half-time, we basically have this thing called controversial opinion, which is like a a light-hearted thing where I'll say like a statement that's meant to be controversial, and we will discuss. Yeah. So today's controversial opinion is Westernized Chinese food is actually pretty good.
0: Uh, Wait, 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 wait. What example, please? Okay, so
1: when I was growing up, (laughs) like you know i wouldn't order it because i thought oh you know it's it's not authentic or something but um recent with the last couple of years like our local hong kong cafe has been offering on um sweet and sour pork on its um with rice on its lunch menu and my friend ordered it and i thought that actually kind of looks good and i'm kind of craving a bit of pineapple at the moment so i ordered it the next time and i'm like this is actually pretty good like i might order it again and then you know like The other day I had lemon chicken as well and you know, I think the key is you have to have it fresh, right? People often order it as takeaway and when it comes it's like soggy, like doesn't taste good. But when you have fresh sweet and sour pork, it's actually really nice, I have to say. Like and you know, I think (laughs) it's its own cuisine, right? Sure, you can't maybe you can't compare it to authentic (laughs) Chinese cuisine, but I have to say, like that's my case. It's actually pretty good. I don't know what you guys think in America as well. You have your orange chicken, I guess, or Panda Express or, you know. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, if, if you maybe couch it in as its own cuisine, then then I, I can maybe see that. And you know, it's quick, it's maybe, uh, yeah. But I, 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 you know, just just the other day, we, we went and um, with some, Americans. And yeah, I had to explain Chinese food. You know, for one, China's big. And That's so right. <laughs> we have different regions. And most of the time, what we, what we eat in most of the Chinese restaurants is maybe more southern China cuisine, can- Cantonese style. And there's mm-hmm. just lots of diversity. Northern, Shanghainese, Sichuan. And uh, so, yeah, I would say uh, if it's own cuisine, maybe uh even though (laughs) like because i don't know again i'm sure our 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 restaurants are very different but you know we have like places like panda express those places and and i just find they're just super high in sodium and i don't like all that sodium and all of that msg that that kills you know it gives me headache you know for a day but um but I, I definitely, if I'm going to, and I don't eat out that much because uh, I, I, with all the traveling, I, we eat out on the road tons. So my mm. mom just loves yeah. to just cook healthy at home. But I love, if I were to choose any, you know, it would be Shanghainese, which is kind of light, Xiaolongbao, and mm, um, yes. I don't know, all the, it's, it's more light type of stuff, but th- those are the things that I would say. But I would tend to say I'm not a huge fan of the Americanized Chinese. That's why I always have to tell people, like, that's not even, you can't find Kung <laughs> Pao chicken in China. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jesse. Yeah,
0: I'm going to say I'm not convinced. You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean I guess I guess maybe some dishes are like okay but you can't beat authentic chinese. Well
1: that is true. Like I do Taiwanese I am very partial food. to Cantonese mm, Hong mm. Kong. You know that's that's my you know it's very fresh like there's a lot of seafood. Um, you can taste the the mm-hmm. fla- the flavor of the ingredient which I love. Mm. But you know i think you know westernized chinese food can can be appreciated as its own thing i think yes i and- do
0: agree and a- and actually a lot of the times it's probably like you know it doesn't take as long to cook you know if you're doing it yourself
1: yeah for sure and well. i like to when i was in uh honolulu you know i was like hey uh, panda express i get a fortune cookie that's kind of nice <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> They actually kind of taste alright, it's kind of fun too Anyways
2: Yes, different cuisine Yeah, it's the western region of China
0: Even in the first book that you wrote with your mum, you talked about what holy sexuality actually is. Um, so I was mm. wondering, can you talk about what does the Bible actually say about sexuality and, and how do we understand mm. desire, lust and sin?
2: Well, you know, I came up with just the term and I didn't come up with a concept because it's, it's really just a biblical concept. Mm. But how I came up with this term uh, really grew out of my almost frustration with realizing, you know, what is God calling us to and realizing that, that we kind of have pigeonholed ourselves into the wrong paradigm. And what is that paradigm? It's the heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual framework. Because mm. we think, well, okay, how do we think about sexuality? Well, either you're homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, or, you know, gay, straight, bi, and, um, or on this spectrum. Mm. And I realized that, okay, if, if same-sex relationships are not blessed by God, the desires are not, and the temptations, well, they can certainly lead to sin, but they're not sinful, be- sinful behavior hmm. by themselves. And so if those aren't part of, you know, those are rooted, rooted in our sin nature, um, is then heterosexuality the goal? So I was like, well, let's look at Scripture open up God's word. And I realized, man, actually the Bible condemns a lot of heterosexual Mm -hmm. sin. So we can't then just say heterosexuality is how you're supposed to be. Mm. Um, You know, in in, in light of, you know, God's, uh, that is like God's standard because I could be sleeping around with a bunch of women and that's considered heterosexual. I could be a married man cheating on my wife with another woman. That's considered heterosexual. I could be an unmarried guy living with my girlfriend. Even We even have a few children together. And that's also considered heterosexual. All three scenarios are mm-hmm. sinful. So God would never use a category that includes sinful behavior. So, and, and plus, these terms, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, gays, bi-straight, unfortunately confuse and conflate our attractions, our behaviors with personhood, that that's who we are. And I thought that in itself is enough for me to be very skeptical of it. And I thought, well, what other options do we have? Well, is there a biblical category? And I thought, well, let's read through the whole Bible. What is it that God calls calls us to when it comes to sexuality? Two paths. That's it. When you are single be sexually abstinent when you are married. And when I say marriage, I'm just using the definition that Jesus used, Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10, the definition from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's between a man and a woman. When, when, you, when you are married, be faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex. So quite simply, I called this holy sexuality, two paths, either chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And I realized that with these two, category, two, two paths, there was no term. So I kind of created this term. Again, the concept was not new. Mm. I just, the term might be new. And I call it holy sexuality in a sense as to juxtapose with this secular framework of heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual to, a, a, to the correct biblical framework, which is holiness or, or, or not unholiness. Mm. So, holy sexuality, chastity and singleness, or faithfulness in marriage. And this is where um, this term birthed out of, uh, recognizing we needed to, I I, I thought we needed to have a name for what we have, you know, And, and that's nothing new. I mean, we've been naming things, concepts in the Bible that didn't have a name for a long time. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew Bible, there is no word for sex you might have heard in the past where people would argue uh, the word homosexual was inserted into the Bible um, in 1950, 1956, 1954, 1950s uh, in the revised standard version. And the misunderstanding then is when that word was inserted, the concept was inserted as well. Well, as a linguist, um, we realize there's a difference between words and concepts. Mm. There could be an existing concept that had no name to it. Uh, They just kind of just called it out, a man lying with a male. So the Bible definitely knew the concept. They just didn't name it anything. And that shouldn't surprise us because (laughs) there was no word for sex. They just read the whole Hebrew Bible, not a single word. They just would use... um, he knew her, or uh, you know, she, you know, she lied, lay with him. Mm. Uh, he saw her nakedness. He would all, use all these type of euphemisms. So um, this this term holy sexuality came out of that to realize I, 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 we needed a, a, a phrase for that, and I think that really helps us better understand not just how I should live, but how you should live, how all our listeners should live. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you are young or old. Doesn't matter if you have heterosexual feelings, homosexual feelings, or both. We need to pursue holiness. And, and I think that also helps that those terms, heterosexual, homosexual, should not define people. Mm. They should define our experience, our attractions, our behaviors. That really helps us then as Christians uh, to be able to separate that Uh, the difference between what we feel and do with who we are. So therefore, as Christians, we can hate our sin without hating ourselves. Mm. And that's really key.
1: Yeah. Um, On a slightly different tack, I suppose, um, yeah, there may be listeners who are struggling with same-sex attraction and, uh, you know, who desire to be married. And, yeah, I suppose what would you say to those people?
2: Yeah. I mean, certainly... Marriage is a good thing you know we're we're not at all trying to uh you know we're not discouraging anyone nor should we and I don't think the discouragement is so much of a problem even though some people will say oh i I could never get married and I, I think we need to be really careful with never saying never <laughs> God could it's it's almost like say God could never cure my cancer and I'm not equating cancer with with same-sex attractions, but I, that's just an example. Mm. He, he's not obligated to do what we want, but we should pray for that. Um, but that isn't the norm. And uh, so it's a good thing to desire marriage because marriage is a good thing. But I think, I think the, the problem in our Christian culture and the problem in our Asian Christian culture mm. is this that we have elevated marriage to be almost the only means to be happy and whole. Mm. You know, we hear husbands who, in a very self-deprecating way, this is my better half. And often, maybe it's true. <laughs> Oftentimes it probably is true. Uh, but it's it's not actually very accurate because Jesus, when he was asked what, you know, is it okay to divorce in any situation? And he said, in the beginning, create him the male and female, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. What God has put together, let man not separate. What's so interesting is what Jesus says. He does not say in the two halves become one. He said that the two shall become one. So this is actually the only time that one plus one equals one. Mm-hmm. So it is not another person that makes us whole it is christ Mm. who makes us whole and what i tell my students at moody bridal institute (laughs) it's such a part of our culture it's it's not it's not very healthy um i tell my students before you become one be whole
1: Mm.
2: marriage does not make you whole Christ makes us whole and, and you probably have seen this in your friends, you know, that are seeking marriage so much to make them whole, to make them happy, make them content. And so what happens though, when, when people like that get married, it's, they don't become one, they don't become whole. Yeah. They become a codependent mess yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. not healthy. And so we, we really need to, um, help people to see, yes, desiring marriage is a good thing, but don't make that your idol. Mm-hmm. Uh, hold that open with an, uh, hold that with, with an open mm-hmm. hand, allow God to guide us, to believe in the sovereignty of God, that he knows what's best for us now. Uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of living as, as a redeemed single individual, uh, hoping for myself, I'm, I'm single, I'm 50 years old and I don't ever want to say, Oh God, I can never get married. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm open to getting married. Someone even asked me uh, the other day. It was one of my parents' friends. Of course,
0: you know. <laughs> they always very invested in their friends' kids' lives.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, but but they so they kind of knew some of my teachers. So they didn't want to say, "Oh, you know, are you going to get married? But you know, I think one asked, "Like, are you ready?" And I'm like, "Ready?" Um, I like I didn't know what that meant. I mean, because I, I think when you say that, "Are you ready or not?" that almost makes it seem like it's dependent upon me, uh, whether to marry or not. And, and just in, you know, I'm 50 years old, so maybe in my older age, I've I've just come to learn that marriage is not so much a choice that an individual should make. I really believe that marriage should be less about what we want as individuals and more about whether mm. this is God's will or not. Mm. You know, I know so many people that are like, oh, this is, oh, she's a godly young woman and this is a godly young man. Oh my goodness, they should marry, right? (laughs) Is it God's will? I mean, yes, they could be both godly people and maybe even similar and like each other. But if it's not God's will and we're trying to put them together, maybe we're actually could be encouraging something Mm -hmm. that is not God's will. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think it's it's thinking marriage in that way. And, And so my answer was I'm open. I'm open because I want it to be God. I want it to be his will. I want it to be, if there's going to be any matchmaker, I want it to be the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, So yeah, so that's, I I would say allow God uh, to be your all in all and to focus, have that hope. You know, that's a good thing to to desire and hope for, but um, make be whole in Christ first. I think the best concept for intimacy that, that the New Testament communicates to us is actually not marriage. Well, I mean, we all know 1 Corinthians 13 really well. Love is patient, love is kind, et cetera. And we hear that, I've heard that many, many times in Christian weddings. But you know what's so interesting? When Paul wrote that, he was not writing that intended for mm. husband and wife. Certainly, that can be applied in that way. However, Paul's primary audience for listening to that mm. was the church how are you and i as my sister in the lord how how am i supposed to love you how are you to me to love me as a brother in the lord love is patient love is kind mm. that's the context even the concept of friendship because i've heard oh what what you know what people like me really need is is you know like a covenanted friendship that that's really uh, my biggest need and i was like oh that's an interesting concept but i stud because I, d- I don't want there to be like anything that's not rooted in God's word. And so I thought, well, let's look in scripture. It's surprising how the Bible is almost silent on friendship. Of course, you know, we're a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. You know, Jesus calls us friend. But other than that, there's almost very little outside of that. Even like the quintessential example of two men being best friends. Who is that? Jonathan and David, right? (laughs) Right. But the Bible never calls them friends. Like, I was I was shocked by that because I looked through the whole Bible. I was like, where, you know, never calls them friends. You know what they do call each other? Brothers. Mm-hmm. They were not blood brothers, but they called each other bro- and they loved each other. And I think the reason why the Bible doesn't really talk about friendship a lot, not because it's, you know, anti-friendship. It's because... The Bible, God was elevating the context for intimacy as the as the primary place, the uh, um, not the not necessarily the primary, uh, an ideal place for intimacy to occur, is mm-hmm. the family of God, mm-hmm. is the local church, the yeah. body of Christ. So that means that we need to improve on that. So that means for people who are single and not married, you know, as you were asking, Grace, you know that we we need to as single people you know we don't often feel like we fit in and that I think then the onus is on people who are married to be able to have their homes open my my really good friend Rosaria Butterfield she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key phenomenal book it'll really challenge you on your understanding of how to do hospitality because that's how she came to Christ she was a lesbian atheist hated Christians um uh tenured professor at syracuse university english professor and her phd was in queer and feminist studies she studied the bible as an english professor and god radically changed her life but it was through the hospitality of a retired pastor and his wife that just invited them into her home did not invite her to church which is so interesting that's so countercultural, right as christians we're like oh have you shared the gospel with your neighbor oh yeah invited them to church well Mm, Have you shared the gospel? Yeah, not, yeah, you know? <laughs> Inviting them to church is not equivalent to sharing the gospel. And we should not then shove the responsibility of sharing the gospel in on the shoulders of the pastors. I mean, of course, they're going to preach the gospel, but that's not their primary job. Their primary job is to shepherd the family of God, to un- be an under shepherd to, to the people of God, the, sh- the sheep, the flock. And so it's our responsibility to then go and share the gospel. But so I think, um, but anyway, opening up not only to unbelievers, but also to believers, to people who don't have a home, to, who don't have children. I mean, it was just Father's Day here mm-hmm. in the U.S., and you know, everyone was you know, wishing my father a uh, happy Father's Day, and we were eating with some people who, a young couple who didn't have kids yet, and um, other singles. And I, remind, I, and I tell them, because oftentimes when I, on Father's Day and Mother's Day, I also wish Um, people who don't have children, people who are single, happy Father's Day and Mother's Day. Why? Because if we are truly following the Great Commission Mm. to make disciples and and, and not just make converts, right? That that seems to be the one that we emphasize all the time or or make more baptisms. (laughs) Mm. It's make disciples. If we are discipling, then we are spiritual parents. Mm. I'm a father, I have no, I have no physical children, but I'm a father Mm -hmm. as a a single individual. And when we think about what it's like to live as single men, single women, as married individuals, inviting all people who are married or unmarried into our own lives and into our homes, I I don't think we're going to be dealing as much with all this loneliness and depression as, as we see in the Mm -hmm. church.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, just reminding us again that specifically about that passage in Corinthians about the intention that Paul wrote, what love is patient, love is kind. Because yeah, I think that just really grounds us as well. Everything that we've been talking Mm. about, it's not about this relationship with another person. It's about how we as a church love and how we as a church... um, Mm -hmm invite people yeah and just love on them so in the context of the lgbtqia community how do you think we as a church can love them better than we have in the past
2: well i think it is recognizing um what love looks like because there's there's, I think love is one of the most misunderstood concepts that we have in our, in our world today mm-hmm. and, is probably, and, and maybe even in our past or just ever. Uh, and, and maybe even particularly today because it has been misunderstood to be more about kind of live and let live. You do you. That's love. That's mm-hmm. unconditional love boy, that is not the way that God loves. Mm -hmm. God loves in ways that are so beyond the way that we love. You know, we know John 3.16, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I do not think we can understand John 3.16 apart from Romans 5, where it says that God loves us while we were still powerless. God loves us while we're still sinners. Like each time Paul uses that word still. And then in Romans 5.10, he says that God loves us while we were enemies. Like, who does that? You know, who loves his enemies? Not me, not us human beings. We don't. We hate our enemies. And yet, we, because we didn't love God, because we were running from God, we were rebelling against God, doing our own things, living self-sufficiency, we were enemies. But God loved us. So thinking about it in that way that we need to love as God loves, that's what unconditional love means, that we're not just you do you and it's okay because God's kindness leads us to repentance. And sometimes in God's kindness, he uses difficulties. He uses even chastisement as love. You know, I'm not a parent. And so, you know, as... Grace with your child if you discipline your child, that's not hate that's not hatred um, that's motherly love. I think motherly love is going yeah. to yeah. you know provide that correction and children think you know you're so mean and whatever, but it's it's love it's 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 helping them to grow into you know a, a woman of God or a man of God so and so that's that's thinking through what what love means like i'm not gonna allow loving your neighbor means and this is important i mean love uh, loving your neighbor many people know what you know what that where uh, love the lord your god comes out of because that's deuteronomy 6 but many people don't even uh recognize that uh love your neighbor where that comes out of it's it's actually right out of leviticus 19 uh 1918 where it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 19, 18. But what's the preceding verse? He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your brother. Some translation says that you will reprove your neighbor. And um, so there is this realization that actually loving your neighbor means speaking truth in love to them. So, I mean, I'm only saying that just to balance kind of how I see we we sometimes are the pendulum in, in our younger generation that we are showing the grace and compassion, but it's devoid of mm-hmm. truth. Maybe the generations before us, they, they understood the truth, but it was really devoid of any grace and compassion. Mm-hmm. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. I mean, I, 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 tr- I argue that it's not that truth and, and love are opposite from one another. That's a false dichotomy. Because I think love is full, full of grace and full of truth as Jesus was full of grace, full of truth, John 1.14. And um, so I, I think that's, that's an important paradigm to think on, on how we do that. Another thing is that we're not treating our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our relatives in the LGBTQ plus community as particularly different from anyone else who needs Christ mm. particularly different from anyone who does not know Christ is an unbeliever or even as a person who says oh I am a Christian um, but you look at their life and it's not I mean I don't know what the statistics are in Australia and New Zealand I'm, I'm sure that it's not and I'm almost positive it's not as high but in America the statistics are that 70% of Americans say they're Christian. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing hey. if that were true? That's <laughs> not true at all in any way, shape, or form. But we're kind of going the way of Australia and Canada and New Zealand now in Europe where it's that number is going to drop drastically, I mm. think, in the next uh, few years. But there's still a sense of people who just say that, but you look at their life. It's like, you know this guy who's just sleeping with his girlfriend or sleeping with lots of women. it's like, Oh, I'm a Christian. No, (laughs) I'll just have to say, you know, no, God is not pleased with that. And I mean, I'm going to do that in love of course, Mm. but I mean, I I realize, and I'm not going to project that on him all the time, but I know in my mind that he can say that and I'm glad he's not rejecting the concept of Christianity, but I know that his words aren't lining up with Mm. his actions so I, I think it's it's realizing that at the end of the day, uh, what people need is Christ. Like like my my journey of faith. I, I'm, I'm hoping that what what people hear is not, I was gay and I'm no longer. That's mm. not my testimony. Yeah. This is my testimony. I was lost and now I'm found.
1: Mm. I was
2: blind but mm. now I see. I did not believe, and now I believe as Christ, as my true Lord and Savior. That's my testimony. And that's the same testimony that I want that we want for others. And And this is a hard paradigm for, for Asian parents often to get, who have children who are wayward, who have children who I've identified as gay or lesbian, where they say, you know, they, they make that, or even transgender, oh, you know, my child is, is going through the surgery and I don't want them to go through this or whatever, and, and I need to remind them, the surgery is not of utmost importance mm. your child yeah. having a same you know getting uh, married to their same-sex partner is not the utmost problem mm. yeah the problem is unbelief that was my biggest sin mm. my biggest sin That's was so not important. being in the same sex relationships my biggest sin was unbelief and so keeping that in mind helps us in our conversations on how to love well those in the LGBT community. What do they need most? They need Christ. They need to hear the gospel, but how do they hear the gospel? What's the best way to do that? We need to live the gospel as we communicate it. It it can't be uh, disconnected with that. Uh, They need to see what it means, a gospel centered life that reflects the glory of Christ. it's nothing new. I mean, I I feel like I'm not really sharing anything really new, but it's just a reminder that it's, it's no different than I would share, um, and and build a relationship with my neighbor. Who's, you know, unbelieving. I mean, we're surrounded by them in in our communities, everywhere we look, you know, our neighbors, the majority of them do not know Christ. And so how are we going to share Christ? Not that much different. Mm. Um, and of course, they, they our LGBT friends will probably then, once they find out we're a Christian, will probably center the question on on a on an ethical uh, you know conversation yeah. you know is this sin or not but I, I I remind people that we don't have to answer every question. Look at jesus. Jesus was asked asked many, many questions in the Gospels, and he didn't answer most of them he he was silent one time he uh would often answer a question with a question he would sometimes yeah, he would. <laughs> give a response yeah right he would sometimes give a response but it was it was an answer but it wasn't to their question it was just to the more important question so in in the same way when people ask you know try to get on the morality uh conversation i know that morality will never save anyone and though it is a good question, it's not the most important question. It's not one that will lead them to Christ. So I want to bring the conversation around to uh, questions that can lead to salvation. For example, I, I, I sometimes suggest if someone asks you, do you think this is sin? I would say, well, I know you don't even believe in God. So right now, what does it matter to you what God thinks if you don't even think that there is a God? So let's first talk about the existence of god Mm. those type of conversations those conversations about god about his son jesus will lead to salvation and and those are the conversations that we need to try to keep on people will try to veer off and distract us from those but that really is the question of utmost importance Mm.
1: that's so helpful (laughs) so uh let's talk about church and you know everyone's been talking about this idea of you know creating safe spaces and that kind of thing and Mm. i'm just yeah, wondering how do we, how are we able to cultivate like a welcoming, hospitable atmosphere um, and love people well, while at the same time, you know, being clear and firm about what we believe in, how God has defined sexuality?
2: Certainly, you know, there is a lot of conversation on creating safe spaces and especially in the United States on, on any secular university campuses. Um, which unfortunately ends up being, you know, safe for everyone except for Christians. <laughs> and, um, but, but I think it's, it's, it's an interesting point. But at the end of the day, I really believe that it should be the body of Christ that is the safest place in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge for us is am I safe, right? The church is not a building, it's the people. And so are we, as followers of Christ, a safe, Place where people can be open about any struggles that they might have, any doubts that they might have, uh, to be able to express that. Uh, so I, I think that that's really key that that we can be, um, that we need to be. And I think there's there's a bit of work for us to to be that place where you know we can talk about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, in in our Asian cultures, we don't talk about sex a lot. You know, we don't often. Even love is not talked about much Asian parents yeah know, even don't, don't often say "I love you you know what I mean in Chinese is makes you little feel weird because love in Chinese has has almost more a romantic almost kind of a exclusive you know sometimes erotic or at least a romantic sense and so when when, when that's said to someone that, and, and that's not someone that you know, you have, you're supposed to have romantic that, that feels weird. So I, I think there's a sense where we need to, in the Asian context, be able to communicate that a little bit more, uh, to, to be able to, to do that. And, and also another thing is I think in, in the Asian context, Asian Christian context, we need to think through what, what a right testimony of coming to faith is. Uh, Cause I've, you know, even though we don't, we're not members of a Chinese church. We've attended a lot and, and gone to a lot of different Chinese mm-hmm. conferences. Um, but sometimes the testimonies tend to be a bit more on the. It, it's cold, kind of an overemphasized uh, realized eschatology. I, that's maybe a little too technical. But it, it's it's making it where we're expecting all the blessings here on earth mm-hmm. now. Uh, in other words, uh, a testimony would be uh, my mother was about to die. Um, you know, I was not a Christian. My mom was not a Christian. My mother was about to die. Someone came, and they prayed for her to be healed, and she didn't die, and I became a Christian. And then that's like the end of the story, and it's yeah. like, you know, okay, amen, that God worked. But where's the call to repentance? Where's the call that, you know, I need God. He is my savior, not just my healer. And so we, we need more of examples of a sinner confessing their sin and of true fruit of repentance. I think that's a healthy church. And when we see that more and we're, we don't need to celebrate sin because that's, that's sometimes the, the balance that I have as a speaker as I talk about my past. I do not want to glorify my past, but I want to glorify mm. the Lord. And so, I, I, But I need to talk about that to say, I'm a sinner, and we're all sinners, and God, that's the message of the gospel, that, that we were in bondage. What does redemption even mean? Redemption in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament is about buying someone out of slavery. So that means every one of us were slaves to the world, to our flesh. Then Jesus bought us out of slavery, but not just that we're just now people, but now we're all actually should live as slaves Mm. to Christ now that we have a good Lord to serve and that he abundantly blesses us and even calls us sons and daughters. I mean, how amazing is that? You know, we were not sons and daughters and now we're grafted in and we're now called um, amazingly children Mm. of God. Um, so it's it's re- I, I think it's openly talking about that in the church in the in, in in the Asian Christian context that then that is what fosters transparency. That's that's what fosters kind of the safe community.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, thanks so so much for that. And it, yeah, especially um, I often think there is a, so much focus on the justification side of things, so just that you're saved, but being grafted into god's family and the adoption and and being a royal priesthood that in in a way is so much mm-hmm. more amazing as well because it's it's not just okay you you don't you're not guilty anymore but it's well, coming yeah. to my family um so mm, yeah that, yeah that's really cool um i think i oh, just wanted to leave with this question which is and I mean, you've talked a little bit about it already, Christopher, in terms of that the world is becoming more and more hostile towards God's mm. standard. And this is not just with sexuality, it's it's with everything. How do you think we should respond to that? Um, especially when you know that as soon as you say, Yeah, I I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. That there will be so many people who jump right away and and almost pile on onto. onto Yeah, or
1: just cut you off. Like bridge, bridge is gone. (laughs) Yeah.
0: How do we respond to that?
2: Well, I, I think it is trying to put ourselves in their shoes. Not at all to agree with their perspective, but to see that what people are are really sincerely trying to do is, is do good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're not in a sense, you know, trying to cloud the minds of our kids and push this agenda. You know, we talk about this gay agenda. I never heard that term before I was, I was mm. the, the first time I heard the term gay agenda was when I became a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that you know, I had an agenda, you know, my agenda was just to live and let live and have fun while, while I was doing it. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know that was uh, so i think and the thing and how do we do that that you know we're or what do i mean by getting getting in their shoes it's understanding that there is no agenda that was birthed from the gay community if there was any agenda it's one that comes from the enemy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he has been deceiving people because i was deceived and my hope is that people would have their the blinders removed as God removed my blinders. And, and my hope is that we would actually uh, have compassion and it would really break mm-hmm. our hearts. That's, yes. that's my hope is that as, as frustrated and honestly, I, I'm, I, I, I have to practice what I preach because it is so easy to see what's going on in our government or in, on the news this is Pride Month in, in the U.S., and mm. every single company is you know, changing their logos to the logo with now it's, it has the rainbow flag mm. on it. And it's very easy to get upset and frustrated, and there's a sense, there's a holy righteousness where we should, but it's this balance. Again, look at God. I mean who could be he's he's a god of just and a god of wrath but he loves us while we were enemies like Mm. again who does that so it's this balance of because i don't think we need to ever be reminded to be frustrated or upset about what we see in the world we don't need to i don't need to remind us of that what we do need to be reminded of is be broken you know I taught at Moody Bible Institute for 12 years, and the founder of our school, his, his name is Dwight Lyman Moody. Um, he, before there was Billy Graham, there was D.L. Moody, and he was a simple man. He, could, he, he didn't graduate from high school. He had horrible English, and people made fun of him because he had horrible English, broken English. But God used him. Isn't that so amazing? I mean, simple, simple, not a smart guy, and he uh spread the gospel in the united states and in england and um, he he preached the gospel to hundreds and hundreds of thousands thousands of people Mm. but people uh often would say about moody that he was the only one that could preach on hell and the reason was because he did it with tears Mm. when we talk about the holiness of god when we talk about even you know morality or whatever it is are we doing it with the right heart are we doing it with um, the right intent and are we broken ourselves realizing that it's but by the grace of god go i mm-hmm. that i'm you know i'm really no different than this person who is pagan and and uh, an enemy of god an enemy of christianity and, and spitting in my face but He's created in the image of God and he needs to know Christ. And so I think it's, it's, it's constantly reminding each other and reminding ourselves um, that we need to hopefully view the world. I mean, Jesus wept, you know, as he looked at Jerusalem that was so mm. far from God, maybe doing all the right things, but far from God and Jesus wept. And so I think we just need to, uh, there's a holy righteousness, but also just weep. Um, and be burdened that there's one answer and it is Jesus Mm -hmm. and and there's just one solution and it's the gospel and so we just need to recommit I think as we see the onslaught as we see things going south you know maybe for you guys that we're going north um, (laughs) we need to (laughs) we need to just recommit ourselves to the beauty of the gospel
1: thank you so much for that yeah pointing us back to Christ. I think um, what you've said is so, so helpful for, you know, a lot of our listeners who, you know, from an Asian heritage and combining that with faith and sexuality, that's, yeah, something that we very have very little, that intersection is very difficult to have. Yeah, so I think, yeah, we really do want to, yeah, um, wish you and your um, parents the best in your ministry as you go on to, to teach and to to bless them and especially with your books as well so we really want to thank you for your time today. yeah thanks
0: so much
2: Christopher. Oh, thank you grace thanks jesse for having me
0: We hope you've enjoyed season two of Did You Eat Yet as much as we've enjoyed making it. Now, this is not the last episode. Grace and I will be discussing our favourite parts of the season, the most eye-opening and the most challenging too, as well as where we go next. So send in your questions, comments and keep an eye out for our last hurrah.
1: Thanks for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by Season Asia of the Rice Movement, which is committed to championing the Asian voice. If you
0: have any questions or comments on anything we've discussed, please drop us a line at at seasonasiaatricemovement.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and would love to hear from you.